name's Aaliyah and I am doing this episode of the Giveology Impact Series. I am here uh, today with Kim uh, who works with the Borgen Project. How are you doing today? I'm well. It's great to be here with you. That's good. All right. So just to get started, can you tell us a bit about the Borgen Project's history, like how the organization got started and how has the work evolved over time? Absolutely. So the Borgen Project is a nonprofit, nonpartisan group. And for almost two decades now, we've been advocating for global poverty reduction legislation in Congress. And really, um, our staff and volunteers across the country have become a voice for the voiceless in the, call, in the halls of Congress by speaking up for those who can't necessarily speak up for themselves. And, um, we're talking about people living in the most vulnerable conditions across the globe. Um, and the idea for the organization actually came about um, when Clint Borgen, um, who is the founder of the Borgen Project, um, had the opportunity to spend time as a volunteer firefighter during the Kosovo War. And he saw firsthand you know, human rights abuses and really you know, the plight of people in refugee camps. And after his time abroad, he knew he wanted to do a lot more to help. He didn't just want to ret return to his normal life back home. Um, so he spent some time on a fishing boat in Alaska um, you know, to earn money um, to actually start the organization. And from there, every year, we've really grown from strength to strength, um, from kind of a one-man mission to having volunteers in every single state. Last year, we had volunteers in over 4,000 cities across the country, um, which is really exciting to see people being involved, people from all backgrounds and walks of life coming together to really focus on righting wrongs that we see um, being experienced by people across the globe in developing countries. And because of kind of this very broad and extensive volunteer base of, of people, and many of them are young, um, young individuals, students, et cetera, who are getting their feet wet in this work and learning how to advocate and how to activate on behalf of these causes. You know, we've really been able as a group to have unprecedented access to US Congress. Um, in the past several years, we consistently meet with 90% um, of the Senate, um, which is almost the entire Senate and a really significant number of elected officials in the House of Representatives as well. So it's very exciting um, to, to be a part of this work on a personal level. I've been um, with the organization for coming up on seven years now and I'm really excited to continue this work. That's awesome to hear that your guys' company has grown so much. I mean, just, in, you know, working, seeing it firsthand and then it, like, you know, working hard to make sure he can help. That's, that's really inspiring. Um, what would you say that some of the Borgen Project's biggest successes are and what ways are, like, how, do you guys measure them? Sure. And, you know, maybe I'll kind of backtrack a, a little bit if that's okay and um, just speak to the types of programs we support. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting as well in terms of our scope being a little bit on, on the broader side. So we're not um, too limited by you know, what we could choose to get behind. So sometimes it could be that we are looking at programs that will benefit specific marginal, marginalized groups um, in low and middle income countries on a global scale. So that could be looking at refugees in developing countries broadly. 
expectant mothers in developing countries broadly, or girls' education in developing countries, and so on. Or we could look at more region-specific um, issues. So we could look at hunger in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, or education in Central America. So hopefully that um, gives a sense uh, of kind of you know, our scope. We do have uh, a large umbrella under which we can take a look at different issues we want to prioritize. But overall, at the core of it, in deciding what programs we choose to promote, we're always looking for those that will have the highest level of impact and the most meaningful outcomes for the most you know, possible people who are suffering in these countries. And just to give a bit of a sense um, in terms of your question on our successes, um, between 2015 and 2019, four of the pieces of legislation, so four of the bills that we championed in Congress and helped to push forward that actually passed and became law, since their passage, they have helped to improve the lives of 165 million people in developing countries. So while we don't have you know, boots on the ground in, in these places, the advocacy work of our volunteers across the country, so you know, thousands of people emailing, calling into their elected officials in support of these bills, and also mobilizing their friends and family to get involved, so kind of creating a ripple effect around these causes um, and also participating in meetings with their elected officials about these bills really helped to push them across the finish line. And so we're excited to continue building on you know, that significant momentum for those bills. And not to be too long-winded, but you know, I'm happy to kind of give you the names of those bills so that um, you, know, you can have a, a you know, broader sense great, yeah. of, yes, of the, the types of issues, because as I said before, we do have kind of that big umbrella. Mm -hmm. So the first one um, is the Electrify Africa Act, which just as the name suggests, is bringing um, people kind of on the grid for the first time in their lives. Um, and that was specifically in Sub-Saharan Africa. The Global Food Security Act um, is focused on you know, sharing agricultural best practices with smallholder farmers. The Water for the World Act is focused on, you know, sanitation and clean water access. And then the Read Act is focused on um, education specifically. So really excited about those bills. And, you know, we look forward to seeing the outcomes of other bills that, you know, we've helped to work on since then. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely amazing what you guys are doing here. And I mean, the amount of people you guys have helped with those bills being pushed through Congress and turned into laws is just outstanding. I'm, I'm sure those numbers like people are just being helped even more even those days. And it's, it's really awesome to hear how that how successful you guys have been throughout the years. Um, so can you provide some information on how program beneficiaries are selected? Sure. And, you know, it was kind of alluding you know, to this before as it regards, um, you know, looking for programs and, and you know, development issues that will be able to have a meaningful outcome and impact. So certainly we're trying to see as much scale as, as possible in getting behind um, these programs specifically. Um, we also tend to look at pieces of legislation that will be you know, of low cost to US taxpayers as well. That tends to be an area of focus for us. And then also we look at issues and 
programs and legislation that will be bipartisan in nature. So ones that you know, will be able to see support from you know, both sides of the aisle, because in our view, you know, these issues, they're common sense issues. They should not be political issues, even though mm -hmm. as with many things, they do get politicized. Um, you know, we feel that you know, solving poverty and the US playing you know, leadership role um, in making these investments, um, it, it's a common sense move for a number of reasons, which maybe I'll touch on in, in a few minutes as well. Yeah, of course. Um, okay, so pandemic has been happening for almost two years now. So like has COVID specifically um, impacted your guys' organization? Yeah, so, you know, it's actually been interesting um, and that's a great question, but what we've seen since the start of the pandemic is that more people seem to want to get involved with the Borgen project and with the cause because they're starting to see more of a bigger picture in that we're all connected, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so a disaster or in this case, disease outbreak that's happened on the other side of the world can also touch us here at home. And we aren't as far removed um, as we like to think. And that's exactly what we've seen with COVID. You, pandemics don't respect borders. And once it exists, in one country, it really exists in all countries. So from our view, um, since the start of the pandemic, we've really seen more interest in people wanting to um, address these issues on a global scale. And for us, that's really been our priority in terms of our advocacy work for, for the past two years, is making sure that there can be enough um, relief for countries who just don't have the resources to be able to get um, you know, to where we are in the US in terms of our vaccination rates. Um, and right now we are specifically working on advocating for additional funding for what's known as last mile delivery of vaccines. Um, and, and what that means is not just seeing increased commitments of vaccine doses and donations, um, from the United States, but once they get to these low and middle income countries, there's a final step is how do they get into people's arms? And in many of these places, they just don't have the public health care infrastructure systems to support the administering of vaccines. And so there is significant funding need to be able to help, um, you know, bring up those public health care systems, support frontline healthcare workers, and ultimately help to make sure that more people can get vaccinated. And you know, often we'll hear you know, questions as to, well, why should this be um, the job of you know, America to be funding this? Well, one, um, you know, the United States is in a position to do so, but just as I said before, you know, if one country has COVID, everyone has COVID because mm -hmm. you know, new variants continue to pop up. Um, and also thinking about the ripple effect too. It's not just, you know, the disease itself, but we're seeing increased rates of poverty in across the globe. I believe the number of individuals, it's more than 150 million people or more people have been pushed into extreme poverty since the start of the pandemic. So there's that concern. Um, there's also, you know, thinking about, well, how does that affect the global economy, you know, everything ties together, as I said before, you know, everything is connected and we're all connected and impacted. So um, certainly it makes sense for these investments to be made um, to help get in front of the pandemic 
everywhere. So just wanted to mention that that's what we're working on right now. And we're hopeful to see, you know, Congress approving um, some level of funding for this effort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. I didn't even think about how, like, what vaccination here meant for like other countries or anything like that. It's like, when I think of other countries in poverty, like that's not even something I thought of. So that's, I'm really glad you brought that to light sure. because that's definitely something that's important. Um, so what are some of the other main challenges that the Borgen Project um, has faced? Um, and like, how, how have you guys addressed these in the past or do you plan on addressing these? Sure. So, you know, thinking about that question, I think, you know, most, if not all, <laughs> smaller and nonprofits. So even though we have, you know, a very um, you know, broad volunteer base and really impressive access to Congress, um, and we've done quite a bit of work over the years. In terms of our budget, we're actually doing a lot of this on a very small budget, um, you know, relative to um, many other organizations. But all that to say is, you know, with more funding opportunities you know, comes more chances for us to scale our impact. And in terms of being able to teach more advocacy skills to more people, um, to be able to push more key legislation forward. Um, so I think that is one area that we were always, always looking to be able to accomplish more in um, as far as our funding. But another one I wanted to mention uh, surrounds misinformation and quite frankly, debunking myths because um, it's interesting that on average, um, most Americans believe that foreign aid makes up 25% of the US federal budget when mm -hmm. in fact, it's actually less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, we are glad to, outside of kind of you know, teaching advocacy skills, we have two online publications where we provide information on the facts <laughs> that um, even at less than 1% of the federal budget, um, the United States gets a lot of bang for our buck from these investments in foreign assistance programs. Um, in our view, it's, it's the right thing to do, right? It's, if you're in a position to help those in need, we should be doing it as the most powerful nation in the world. But outside of that, there are actually benefits to Americans as well when it comes to foreign aid um, investments. And not to get too long-winded, but um, one of those one of those benefits is um, regarding U.S. job creation. So when people in developing countries or you know low-income countries are able to transition from barely surviving into having the resources to become you know global consumers, um, it actually impacts us here at home because when we think about it, um, most of <laughs> consumers in the world are outside of the US. So 95% of consumers don't live in America, basically. And nearly half of US exports go to developing countries. So there's really a strong case study for us to make investments in foreign assistance because they actually yield returns um, in terms of you know, job creation for Americans as people in developing countries now start to import American products. Um, the next one is around our national security interests. Sometimes people in vulnerable positions in, in you know, countries that are struggling might find themselves turning toward you know, extremist groups because those groups are providing basic needs you know, that they're not able to access otherwise. So by you know, the US investing in providing some of those needs, we can be more proactive 
in helping to protect our national security interests in that way. But all that to say overall, as, as we like to say at the Borgen Project, we all do well and we all do well. Everything ties together and it just makes sense. It's a win-win-win situation. Of course, we care um, primarily <laughs> about you know, the, the human need, the humanitarian need for supporting these programs, but we recognize as well that um, you know, sharing information on the other benefits of foreign assistance is helpful in terms of having pe more people to support these programs as well. Okay, yeah, so like, like you're saying, like everything's kind of like a chain of events, we start to help like these other countries that um, are in poverty, help them get their basic needs, and then, yes. you know, it, it just it, one thing they, tumbles over another and eventually exactly. you know, they can the become, it's helping us back. Exactly, like they can become trade partners of America, like for instance, South Korea was a former uh, recipient of U.S. foreign aid back in the day, and now they're one of our you know, bigger trade partners. So, um, kind of connecting the dots in those ways really helps people to see that okay, we're not just you know giving handouts or you know just sending money abroad without any expectation of a return on those funds. Um, it actually does come back to us all while you know, being able to help people. So it really is, you know, kind of, as you said, the chain of events <laughs> does kick off and it ends up being, you know, win, win, win situation. Yeah, I can, I can, that's, that's really good to know. Cause I can see how like a lot of the misinformation, especially with yeah. technology today can be a challenge, especially with, you know, people not really being like, not trying to, they're not really understanding why, you know, helping others in those lower, um, or like, countries that are struggling yes. you know um so I, I can see how that can definitely be a struggle um so like you said earlier um with the bills passing in congress having people reach out to their representatives and just telling their friends and family was one of the ways that you guys were able to um help get the bills passed and everything are there any other ways that um, listeners can help join your guys's movement yes um and so actually our website is just a really great resource of how to begin um, to get involved with us. Um, if you go to borgenproject.org, um, there's a tab called Act Now, and it um, has quite a few ways <laughs> that you can get involved. As, as you said, you know, the first would be um, reaching out to your elected officials. We actually have um, information on how you can learn to do that literally within a few minutes. Learn to send an email, within seconds, um, learn how to call or write your elected officials. But we also have volunteer opportunities. If someone is looking to be involved on a more regular or consistent basis, um, we have um, opportunities for them to do so. And so that page I mentioned, the Act Now tab, you can find information on how to volunteer, which you know many of our volunteers are able to participate in um, actual congressional meetings with their elected officials. So going a bit beyond just sending the email um, and making a phone call, which in, a, in and of itself is a huge deal and a huge mm -hmm. door opener for further conversation. But the volunteer opportunities and internships as well are a great way to be able to, as I said, get involved on a more consistent basis and be able to do, you know, kind of take more steps forward in this work. Okay. That, that sounds great. Hopefully uh, we'll get some extra people to help you guys out. Yeah, well, I really appreciate wonderful. you uh, joining me today. Um, I'm really, I was really excited to learn a little bit more about you guys. And um, again, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.